0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, now as we turn to your holy word, we pray that you will open our eyes to its truth of how your word points us to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we come now for the feeding of our souls Father, we do not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. So we ask that your word will rejuvenate us, will sustain us and strengthen us this morning. Father, you are so kind and good to give us your word. Lord, help us to live in your truth. Stir our hearts. Give us a zeal for your word this morning. God, as you do it for us, we ask that you'll do it for the Husa of Nigeria. Father, less than 1% of them have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Less than 1% know the truth of your word. Less than 1% will get to experience your glorious, holy, loving presence. Father, that means most of the Husa in Nigeria are already standing in judgment. Father, I pray in your kindness, in your mercy, that you will save more of the Husa. Father, may it be that missionaries from maybe this church, young men and women, will go to the Husa and declare the good news of Jesus Christ and that you will save more of that precious people. God, we do pray that you'll raise up men among the Husa, godly men who will preach your word, who will share the good news with their own people, and that you'll establish new fellowships, new local bodies who will minister to their own. Father, we pray that the Husa will be counted among the righteous, that your word will go to the four corners of the earth and will include these people, God. Father, we pray that for the believers in southern Nigeria that the gospel will resonate in a more real, practical way. That they will not include traditionalism or worship of ancestors or anything else that adds to the gospel and thus waters it down may they hear the clear unadulterated gospel of jesus christ and hold on to that god we pray god that's our prayer for this new church plan coming in september we thank you that you have given pillar dc a way forward We thank you for McLean Bible Church's campus on Main Avenue coming together with Pillar and that they together will be a new fellowship strengthened by one another according to your word, standing on your word. May your word be a lamp to them as they go forward and may they be a light to the communities there in Washington, D.C. Lord, we thank you for Jared Huntley coming to lead this church plant. We pray that you will provide the finances that he and his family need, that you will strengthen him to your service, that you will guard his heart, that you will help him, Father God, to prepare for what's to come. Father, may his wife and his children be prepared. Father, I thank you for New City Network who has... Come alongside them and help them in this preparation. But, Father, most of all, we ask for your grace with the Huntleys. Lord, we thank you for the faithful service of the Rulocks, Those who have been there with the Main Avenue campus, who have served your people faithfully. Lord, we pray that you will give them a way forward, God that they will live in the joy of their salvation and they will continue to serve You. Lord, we thank You for being a part of the Guthrie's ministry in Australia. We thank You for them serving Wycliffe Bible translators and helping to translate the aboriginal languages in the language of Tamor, Leste, and Indonesia, Father. Lord, we pray that You'll be with Chris and Megan and their children as they have Forsaken all that was once familiar, and they have established a new life, a new home far away to the glory of your great name. Father, may they remain faithful and steadfast. May you strengthen them in those days when it seems all is for naught. Father, when they don't have the strength to take another step, may you help them, Father to remain faithful. Lord, we ask now that you will be with us, be with the other fellowships in our community. Lord, we pray for other gospel-centered churches in our area. We thank you for Covenant Community Church. We thank you for Foundation and North Stafford and Stafford Baptist. Lord, like-minded churches who are seeking the lost, who are strengthening your people through the right preaching of your word, Lord, do a miraculous work among all of us this morning, we pray. It's in your Son's name. Amen. In the course of one's life, how often should a Christian expect to share their testimony? That's a question that seems reasonable for the church, isn't it? How often should a Christian expect to share their testimony? That's a little too abstract, isn't it? Let's make it a little more personal for each of us this morning. How often do you share your testimony with others? How often should you share your testimony with others think about that for a second Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody if you're thinking now well gee I I really don't share my testimony all that that much I'm not trying to shame anybody here but we all need to know that our testimony is an important part of the Christian life there is a definite answer to how often you should share your testimony, but it's not a numerical one. If you were just sitting now trying to think through and you're counting how many times, that's not the answer. It's not a numerical answer. We are commanded in the Scriptures, though, to share our testimonies. And Philippians 1, 27-30, it says, Let your manner of life Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a clear sign to those who don't believe of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15. After the Beatitudes that describe the Christian, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. Shine so that the light, and he means His light, we are to shine. Believers shine his light to fill the whole world. And in 1 Peter 2 21, we have been called to endure lives that reflect God's grace, even if suffering is involved as Christ suffered. His life is an example for us that we might follow his steps. You see, there's no quota set in the Scriptures that says, Thou shalt share one's testimony X number of times a day or a week. God is not that dogmatic with His people. Rather, we're told that our lives are to be living sacrifices. Living acts of worship that declare His greatness and His goodness. We are called to be witnesses to Christ and to testify. That means to declare and to give to other people evidence that they can see and that they can hear telling them who God really is. God tells us to always be ready to give a defense for what we believe and why we believe it. This includes being grounded in sound doctrine being immersed in the teachings of Scripture, clearly articulating the good news of Jesus Christ, whether the other person you're telling it to believes it or not, and able to bear witness to the person and to the work of Jesus Christ. Just last week, we had a baptism where Jacob Yee gave his testimony prior to being baptized. It was a joyous Occasion for all of us. We ask every person that is baptized here at Redeemer to share their testimony as part of their baptism. A couple weeks prior to Jacob, Sammy gave his testimony prior to being baptized. We do this so that all in attendance can hear for themselves that God works in an individual to save them. So they can know what caused the believer, to trust Jesus as their Savior and how their hearts have been changed and filled now with immense joy experiencing how truly great God is. For this reason, a person's testimony is for more than church ceremonies and fulfilling commands given by Christ. They are to be part of our daily lives. Each day is to be marked with clear and explicit explanations of the gospel. Each day is to be marked with clear and explicit explanations of the gospel. The marks of Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection shown with distinct evidences in our own life where a non-believer can look at your life, a non-believer looking at you, and say, that's what Christians mean by a regenerate, transformed, new life in Christ that comes from the sovereign God who's holy yet full of grace. Your new life being given by a gracious, loving God. And then you tell them in more detail what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about. In a day when most people are completely absorbed into themselves, where they live with a relentless pace to express themselves and are focused on sharing everything about them and their interests and desires, Christians live differently and seek to share not themselves, but Christ. To live is Christ. So a testimony is a lifestyle and it's words. It's both. A testimony is both words shared with others and it's a life that's lived that reflect our personal experience of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You testify by what you say and by what you do. Your life is a testimony. What you say is a testimony. How you live and what you talk about declare how great or how little God is in your life. Our lives should be personalized pictures. Our lives should be personalized pictures of what it means to be in Christ and to walk with Christ. How we live our lives and what we say is then important. God's magnificent grace and His transformative power and endless love is either displayed in us or it's not. His immense, radiant glory shines outward from our lives Or we fail to point to His excellencies, revealing then an insincere heart that is but hypocrisy. None of us want to be there. None of us want to dishonor God. So we examine ourselves, and if our hearts have been touched by divine grace, our lives, as imperfect as they are, become instruments of light being obedient, walking in the Spirit and bearing fruit. That is more than just a changed life. This is more than just telling and sharing with others that our life is better with Jesus. These are changed lives that have eternal ramification. It is a testimony that says Jesus is everything. And you either declare that by how you live and what you say, or you deny that by how you live and what you say. So knowing that, how often should believers share their testimony? There is not a number in each day. It is how we live each day for Christ and tell others of Him. Our lives are testimonies that reflect our God. His love and care for us to be seen in everything that we do, everything that we're involved with, how we interact with others, how we address sin, and how we love. In the latter part of Nehemiah chapter 5, the text we're looking at this morning, Nehemiah shares a testimony. It's a beautiful testimony that points to the love, to his love for God, not himself. For 12 years, Nehemiah tells us that he lived in such a way that can be described as selfless love. This is a testimony to how God's people are to live. You'll remember in the previous passage, there was internal strife among the Jews. Some Jews were taking advantage of other Jews, and they were exploiting those who were lesser off for their own selfish gain. Involved with interest loans and taking of land and accepting children as slaves to work off debt. The turmoil was all over the city. After God stayed the hand of the outside enemy, fellow Jews were divided within. And this threatened to break things up. How is God honored among His people when they live that way? What kind of testimony is this to the nations? Nehemiah said it all has to stop, even his part of it. He did not exclude himself. You'll remember last week. He included himself and said it all has to stop. It couldn't go on like this, and the people agree. They do as they promise to return everything to the way it should be. And it results in everyone worshiping God saying, Amen, praise the Lord. The people of God are in the world. We are not of the world. We're all familiar with that phrase. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We are to live differently than how the world lives. We are not just given that incident in the early part of chapter 5, to tell us how people are to be, Nehemiah then inserts this short passage at the end of the chapter, just six verses, that gives us evidence of it actually affecting his own life. He didn't just tell others how they ought to live and what they need to do. He applied it to himself as well and he gives a testimony. All of God's people, every one of us, is to live our lives in a way that reflects that we are His people. That our lives, our very existence, are owing to our great God. And it's not a one-time deal. It's not a a one-time occasion or acknowledgement of who God is. It's how we are to live as His people day in and day out. God is to be represented in the daily expression of our lives. There's a reason why Nehemiah tells us for 12 years he did this. This is what a testimony is for. That God will be seen in our lives and honored for it. And like Nehemiah, our testimony ought to reflect the selfless love of God. And for us, we know God's love is perfectly displayed in Christ. So our testimony today as followers of Jesus Christ, like Nehemiah, our testimony should reflect the selfless love of Christ. Which is what Nehemiah is ultimately pointing toward. Nehemiah's selfless love is shown in four examples, if you'll look with me. First, in verse 14, he, he tells us, "...neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor." Now you'll remember, Nehemiah was appointed governor by King Artaxerxes. The Persian king appointed a Jew to go back to Judah, to the city of Jerusalem, as governor, which means he had all the authority, all the power, all the means given to him that the Persian king authorized. He had power. He had standing. He had rights. But he did not make use of his allowance for 12 years. Why? He had the right to collect taxes not only for King Artaxerxes, but also for his own governorship. He had a right as governor to do that. But Nehemiah refused to take privileges that would cause more burden on the people. He cared about them. He was already asking them to work on the wall and to take time away from their fields. He did not want to make things worse on them. He chose not to raise a tax for his food allowance, although he could rightly do that. It was his right, but he denied himself for the sake of the people. Another example is what he says in the next verse, in verse 15. I did not lord heavy burdens on the people. Other governors had. Others who had the right, they, they didn't do it illegally. They had the right to put this tax burden on the people, and they obviously did. They wanted an extravagant life as governor. They thought a governor should live in a certain way, do certain things, but not Nehemiah. He saw things differently former governors had levied a heavy tax of 40 shekels of silver, which became a heavy burden for the people. He didn't send out his servants to collect taxes like others had. They instead focused on the mission God gave them of building that wall. That's why he says in verse 16, which is the third example, he persevered in the work on the wall and they acquired no land. That's important to know. That means he didn't take property from the people. And all his servants worked for one purpose of building the wall. Some politicians use their position to gain wealth. We can just look at our own politicians and know that that example, that that kind of thinking in a politician continues today, but not for Nehemiah. His love for God and his people drove him to roll up his sleeves and work alongside the people. He was in it not for personal gain. He considered God and His plans more important, and he sacrificed personally so that God's people would enjoy fulfilling His plan. That leads to the fourth example of Nehemiah's selfless love, in verses seventeen and eighteen. He paid for 150 men who ate at his table on a regular basis. Imagine if you had 150 people at your table on a regular basis. It'd get expensive, wouldn't it? Now, as governor of Judah, he would have, it would have been customary for him to entertain guests. Having 150 people at your dinner table would have been normal for the governor. He would have them come and eat with him at his table. But everyone who came and ate at his table were able to fill their stomachs at Nehemiah's expense. He used his own funds. Remember, Nehemiah is very much aware aware that God's good hand is upon him. Nehemiah is generous with the people because he has received God's grace in his life. It cost Nehemiah personally to feed these 150 men. It's believed these men could have been heads of families, and they were officials, they were nobles. And he had others, even more than that, coming from the other countries on a regular visit. But he still didn't take food allowance he could have as governor. Every day he tells us, Prepared at his expense was an ox, six of the best sheep, lots of birds, and every ten days all kinds of drink in abundance. All of this cost Nehemiah. But he makes it clear at the verse of 18 that having the people supply this would have been too much for them. All of this came out of his own pocket. Now reasons for Nehemiah's selfless love is... Is quite clear. God's grace was upon him. He knew that God had him, that God was guiding him, protecting him, that God has, had already provided, and God is trustworthy and He would provide for him. So Nehemiah was generous with the people because God was generous with him. And in verse 15... That generosity results in the fear of God. I touched on this last week. The fear of God is knowing what God can do in His infinite power and knowing what He should do to Him in His sin. And I said this also last week. Knowing this and then receiving God's grace causes God's people to walk in fear of Him and obey Him and be thankful for His love and His mercy. This causes us to make a stand for what He says and to live in His love and then share His grace and mercy with others. God is faithful with His covenant. He's always keeping His word. And Nehemiah knows this. God could have left those Jews as exiles. Even being in exile was merciful. God could have destroyed them completely. God could have judged them and left them alone, but He didn't. Nehemiah treasures this. Nehemiah treasures God's Word. It's dependable and it's lasting, and so he keeps it in his heart. God gave them grace, and Nehemiah is personally aware of of this, and he lives in light of it. He lives his life because God is gracious, and so he lives his life before this gracious God every day. The fear of God drives him to live in the grace of God, and he submits and he follows him. Nehemiah knows what God could do instead of regathering his people he could be doing other things he could have chosen another people another route to fulfill his plan but instead he is regathering his people god is rebuilding the city god is giving that protection that they need and he's allowing them to participate in his work in the rebuilding of the walls You see, God had allowed the city to be destroyed once before. And it's only by His grace that the people are rebuilding it and rebuilding their lives. How generous God is. This is what Nehemiah is talking about when he says he didn't lord it over the people. God had not treated Nehemiah or the Jews that way. So he definitely wasn't going to do that either. He was going to honor God and treat them as God had cared for him. Nehemiah gives another reason for his generosity in verse 19. He says, For the good of the people, not only was he living in fear of the Lord, having God first in mind, this drove him living in fear of the Lord, then drove him to consider the well-being of the people. It wasn't just Nehemiah standing before God and him considering himself and saying, thank you God for your grace. I'm going to live accordingly. So he has these blinders on and he walks his life this way. That's not what God's grace does in a person's life. When they receive God's grace, what used to be blinders now opens up a wide view of all that God does. Do you see the testimony of Nehemiah this morning? He's not just being a nice guy here. He's not just being this cool governor, this cool politician. This is not just good leadership skills being put into practice. His generosity is derived from God's abundant kindness toward him. God is a God who always has His people in mind. He has shown compassion on Nehemiah and all the Jews. God's care and compassion leads His people then to have that same compassion for others. Nehemiah has personally experienced God's love The king had appointed him as new governor. He provided all the supplies for the wall. God had defeated the foreign enemies without a fight. He kept the people together when they almost imploded. God is restoring them. His love was touching their lives in every way. His lavish care is what Nehemiah is displaying here. This is Nehemiah's testimony. Now according to John 5.39, we know that Nehemiah's story fits into the larger story of the Bible. His testimony points to the one who's more generous and who has greater compassion and has unbounded sacrificial love for God's people. That tells us that this small passage in Nehemiah Nehemiah's testimony is a road sign. It's a marker pointing forward to something more for God's people. His example is like an an Old Testament preview of what was to come. It's like a trailer before the movies. We've all been in the movies and they show the, the upcoming movies and they give you little snippets of what's to come. That's what Nehemiah's testimony is like. It's a trailer it's an Old Testament preview of the self-denial of Jesus Christ. This testimony is called a typology of Christ. It's a prefigure of Him showing the selfless love of Nehemiah points to what Christ is going to be like for His people. Christ humbles Himself. Christ denies Himself, Christ has rights as deity, but He gave them up so that His people would be saved. Nehemiah's genera- generosity only lasted during Nehemiah's lifetime. But Christ is eternally abundant. His is eternal kindness and provision. It lasts forever. The reasons for Nehemiah's compassion are also seen more magnificently in Jesus. I gave you two reasons why Nehemiah was behaving and living in this testimony as he was. Those same reasons are seen in Christ. His fear of God was reflected in his perfect obedience to the Father. I touched on that last week. And I said that God doesn't fear God. When I say Jesus feared God, I'm not saying He was scared of the Father. Christ is perfectly aware of the judgment and he endured it for the will of God to be fulfilled. The awesome, fearsome glory of God to be seen and adored. The other reason of Nehemiah's selfless love can also be seen in Christ and his salvation work on the cross. That glorious. Accomplishment on Calvary was accomplished for our good. Nehemiah had the good of the people in mind. Jesus has our eternal good in mind. Jesus came to restore us to communion with God and give God's grace generously to us. In reality, Nehemiah's generosity does not compare to what Jesus gives. Nehemiah's is but a window into the vast sea of abundant grace that Jesus provides. When Jesus came, people can can look back and say His love and His care is like Nehemiah's, but better. But so much better. And like Nehemiah's testimony reflecting Christ... His is a model we all should follow in our own testimonies. Every Christian is to live a life that commends the gospel of Jesus Christ. In practical ways with generosity and and compassion for others, our rights are not what, what is most important. Our love and care for God's glory and His people is what should drive us to act each and every day in the grace of God, sharing this grace of God for the glory of God. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus when they realized it was Jesus talking to them and explaining the meaning of the Scriptures, it says their hearts burned within them. When we see that God's grace and His love given through Jesus is vastly better than what we see Nehemiah doing, Our hearts burn within. They burn with a holy fire for God. And that's what our lives become. Our lives are forever changed. They're forever changed as the Spirit dwells within. And the words of Jesus stays with us. We are moved to worship and praise of His great name. We praise Him in our lives and they become living testimonies of His grace and His love given to us. Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., says each Christian makes visible the gospel of the invisible God. Each Christian makes visible the gospel of the invisible God. Our lives become a testimony to who He is. His grace and selfless love, given so freely to us, is shared with those around us. Fathers and mothers giving a picture of Christ's love to their children. Families caring for their neighbors and friends at their expense. Thus showing the generosity of God's grace. We cast light on the loving heart and deeds of Jesus as we live selflessly as He did for us. And this is true in the church as well. The church is to be a community of love so others will know the love of God. Individual testimonies become a corporate testimony of love and grace. God saving a community which turns it, it it in turn displays how generous God's care is and it's shared with one another and it interrelates and it connects all of us together with Him. Nehemiah's life was not perfect, as we'll see in the coming chapters, but his testimony is one that vastly loved God and His people. And isn't this reminiscent of the greatest commandment given to us to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself? May our testimonies reflect this not like Nehemiah. I'm not here to tell you to live like Nehemiah. That, that would be an insult to God's Word. His is an example, but the perfect example is given in Jesus Christ. May we follow His steps, loving selflessly and caring for God's glory and His people like our Lord. May our lives in this church testify to who He is. May the work of Christ for us lead us by God's grace to be like Him so He is known and worshipped. So others will come to share in His selfless love and be saved. Let's pray.